Chapter Eight, Part One of Dead Love Has Chains by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight, Part One. Mary Harling was beaten. She had the ever-present memory of what the doctors had said to her, the grave warning of peril, and with the revelation of her son's impassioned temperament, which every day was brought more vividly before her mind, she could hardly question the medical verdict this fine brain was too nearly allied with the heart to stand the shock of an unhappy love the same kind of trouble that had been fatal to him in his twentieth year might again be fatal since in every characteristic in every feeling and impulse he seemed no older at eight-and-twenty than he had been as an undergraduate it might be that those years at roehampton counted for nothing and that he was still in the dawn of manhood eager and impetuous seeking the blue flower of joy with a fervour that would not brook disappointment lady mary felt that her armoury was exhausted she had used her strongest weapons and her sword had bent in her hand her gun had missed fire the girl had met threats and entreaties with the same indomitable spirit the girl meant to marry her son no hope remained but in machiavellian tactics and lady mary felt that she must take things quietly and exert her utmost power of machiavellianism conrad's light foot came bounding up the stair while she sat before her writing-table disconsolate just as she had sunk down when the girl left her he dashed into the room bringing the breath of summer and youth and happiness with him my dear dear mother she has told you she came herself to tell you could anything be sweeter of course she must adore you she who has no real mother you are not going to lose a son you are going to gain a daughter he was on his knees by her chair he had seized her cold hand and was kissing it in a fever of filial love dear mother tell me you are pleased and what a struggle it cost the wan smile the low murmur i must be content if my dear son is happy and would you not have chosen her is she not all you would have chosen i have no choice i have never thought of choosing i only wanted my dearest to be happy and i am going to be happy divinely happy i feel as if this earth i tread on has been changed to an olympian cloud i walk on air i am breathless in a rarefied atmosphere think what it is to me mother to find this pure and perfect pearl after the disillusion of my youth when my goddess my angel the creature i almost worshipped was shown to me in a moment without a note of warning as the most worthless of her sex a hypocrite and a liar a prize-fighter's light o love can you wonder that my mind gave way under the shock there was a silence while conrad still knelt his mother's head bent over him her arms about his neck oh the agony of it to know that he was again deceived that this new angel who brought him ineffable bliss was a mock angel and that at any moment the mask might drop and he might know himself again the dupe of second-hand charms to know this and to be unable to undeceive him constrained to silence by so dreadful a fear her oath might perhaps have been as nothing to her the sin of perjury might have lain lightly on her conscience had it been for his interest to tell him the cruel truth but she could not speak words that would crush him in the dawn of joy at the risk of a shattered mind and a life ruined for ever better that he should be happy in his own way perhaps never to be undeceived it might be as the girl said that no witness would ever rise up against her and it might be that she loved conrad as he deserved to be loved 
she who had so suffered might love better than the sinless and the untried her affection ought to be so much the stronger for her gratitude to him who taught her the divinity of a good man's love mother you are crying is that the way you welcome joyful news my dearest there are always two sides to a question i want you to be happy but we have been all the world to each other you and i you must allow something for a mother's jealousy and then i have been thinking of daisy poor daisy why poor daisy and irene will be capital friends we shall take daisy about with us on the motor daisy will have a good time doing gooseberry will it be a good time do you think to be a third and rather in the way after the long rides with you in hampshire the croquet the billiards the time when you devoted yourself to her all day long so that i almost thought you almost thought i was falling in love with her and i thought so too ma'am and one day one heavenly may morning when the world seemed enchanted i was on the brink of a proposal we had ridden to the edge of the forest we were in that lonely wood you know in the valley beyond ringwood and i felt like a man under a spell i was almost drunk with the rapture of life in that green woodland under that azure sky and daisy seemed the spirit of the wood a most enchanting hamadryad in a neat little riding habit i was nearly gone when i remembered that au fond my feelings were simply cousinly or even brotherly and that no doubt daisy had just the same temperate affection for me i am not so sure of that conrad i am afraid your kindness in those happy days at cranford may have turned her head a little she is very sensitive and she is six-and-twenty heads don't spin round easily at that age and it is only a mother who believes that every girl in the world must find her son irresistible daisy and i are comrades and friends and always will be if she takes to irene as i feel sure she will my dearest and again there were signs of tears oh mother why this dolefulness is not my love a lady the daughter of a man who has fought for his country and won his sovereign's recognition is not my love fair too fair too fair oh conrad can't you understand that i am fearful of a love that is founded only upon beauty it fills me with fear when i see my son the slave of a lovely face what do you know of miss thelliston except that she is beautiful your father and i had known each other for more than a year before he asked me to marry him i knew all about him his conduct his opinions his religion i knew that i was giving myself to a man who would never disappoint me who would be husband friend counsellor all the world to me as he was till death took him the rush of tears that came after those words seemed natural and conrad was not offended dearest of mothers yours was an ideal courtship in the old-fashioned jog-trot way but i belong to a swifter moving generation and i yearn for the poetry of life remember how your favourite shakespeare said he never loved that love not at first sight i have no doubt that my father was in love with you all that year of your acquaintance though he was not so impetuous as i am come now ma'am let us all be happy open your heart to my sweet love and every day will make you fonder of her by the by why didn't you ask her to come back to luncheon she wouldn't come for my asking i didn't think of it oh but you must make her welcome ma'am you must make her feel that she belongs to us and that she is not to stand upon punctilio i don't i told her to tell lady thelliston that i was going to lunch with them and by jove it's twenty minutes past one and they lunch at half-past conrad got up shook himself like a dog in good spirits 
and was at the door when his mother asked, "'Are you going anywhere this afternoon?' "'To Richmond on the Mercedes. Tell Daisy to be ready at a quarter to four. We shall have tea at the Star. Will you drive down and join us?' "'No, dear, it's too far. We shall be back in time for a stroll in the park. I shall expect to find you there.' He was gone, gone to the new love and the new life. "'Come what might.' no word nor act of hers must bring about the ruin of his hopes henceforward conrad's courtship went on velvet everybody seemed to rejoice in the joy of these young lovers since the two persons to whom that sudden betrothal brought pain instead of joy had to smooth their brows and to hide a stricken heart with a smile it was only when conrad told daisy meredith of his engagement and entreated her warmest regard for his future wife that she knew how dear he had become to her or the dream she had cherished that she had become dear to him conrad had been so kind so cruelly so fatally kind in those glad days at cranford he had seemed so completely content with life in her society while every day had brought them some new discovery of mutual tastes opinions sympathies from trivial things the love of a dog a horse a flower or some particular phase in the sky the earth the atmosphere to the highest the deeply felt need of a personal god the anxious belief in their hereafter in a moment that dream had vanished he might still be her friend in telling her of his new happiness he had dwelt upon his affection for her had urged her to be to his wife as a sister but he could never more be as he had been in that golden maytime the blossoming season of her life the season in which life had been more than life and earth had ceased to be earthly not for worlds would she have appeared disappointed or forlorn she had that fine feminine pluck which can look upon the funeral pyre of love and smile she played her poor little part of gooseberry with grace and vivacity she was never in the way and never out of the way when wanted she suffered the rush and noise of the mercedes the dust of the roads the monotony of afternoon teas that whether at richmond or esher or wimbledon or windsor were always the image of each other she talked when she was wanted to talk and was always absorbed in the landscape when the lovers began to whisper confidences those mysterious confidences which engaged young men and maidens have to impart to each other she did all that the situation demanded with a face that beamed with intelligence and a heart heavier than lead the shabby house at holloway the bickering parents the slovenly parlour-maid would have seemed a haven of peace but she was too proud to fly some one might get an inkling of her secret if she were to show the faintest distaste for her sickening office happily for her there was a limit to her martyrdom for the wedding was to take place in august sir michael and his future son-in-law being of one opinion as to the needlessness of delay while irene had consented readily to an early marriage if we were to be engaged for years i could not trust you more than i do now she told her lover i know how good you are i know how happy we are going to be that was a song she sang to him in all those joyous days they were going to be happy she was going to make him happy it was the string she harped upon on love's mystical lyre material arrangements are easy when the suitor has thirty thousand a year lady mary insisted upon giving up cranford but she would of course retain the house in hertford street which was hers for life conrad and irene had the joy of house hunting among their other pleasures and house hunting when rent is no object is as joyous a business as it is weary and wearing for small purses even in this daisy had to assist 
scaling four-story staircases in hill street and charles street and green street and norfolk street till after days of exploration a small house was discovered in park lane which was the situation irene had desired from the first after the discovery of the ideal house there came consultations and fierce discussions with the ideal architect that is to say the architect at the top of the mode that season who was something of an autocrat and wanted his own way about every detail so that at last conrad had to remind him that it was he and his wife who would have to live in the house and that however perfect it might be as a work of art it would be hard lines if they did not like it when however this famous artist sent in drawings of the house as it was to be after he had worked his will upon it the blue windows and the pale pink walls and delicate touches of water-colour had such a ruskinesque effect that irene was all for letting the architect have a free hand and finally it was agreed that he should alter and bedouble the house until nothing but the mere shell of the original structure would remain that which had been kitchen becoming wine-cellar and servants bedrooms being transformed into kitchens all inner walls on the first and second floor being removed leaving vast spaces where there had been small rooms and ceilings supported by steel girders and a pilaster or two daisy told lady mary that she liked the original telescopic drawing-rooms better the positive comparative and superlative expanding from a boudoir not much bigger than a powder closet at the back of the house through a smallish middle room to a somewhat spacious drawing-room with three french windows opening on a balcony the early victorian balcony was to disappear and the three windows were to become one stone mullioned medieval with a deep window-seat and leaded casements to let in the rain there was to be nothing more recent than the period of francis i and diane de poitiers this transmogrification would take time and the house would not be ready till next season sir michael and lady thelliston went to hampshire in the panhard with the lovers to see the place which was to be their daughter's country home and all things were admired and approved irene had not daisy's way of looking at horses and dogs nor did she walk straight into the hearts of the irish setters as daisy had done but she admired the fine old quadrangle of red brick and stone where stables and saddle-rooms and coach-houses and grooms quarters were dignified by the spaciousness of the enclosure and the stone basin round which the pigeons clustered where there had been a fountain that had not played within the memory of man she admired the large rooms the broke oak balusters and carved newels of the staircase the grandeur and spaciousness everywhere is this really to be my house she said with a glad little laugh that conrad thought enchanting they lunched in the large dining-room where the round table looked like an island in an ocean of turkey carpet they were a cosy party of four daisy not being required on this occasion and it mattered nothing to conrad that his future father-in-law had a cold cruel face or that his future mother-in-law's complexion was a curious and instructive spectacle in the clear light of a july noontide conrad knew nothing he cared for nothing save the girl by whose side he was sitting and whose slender grace as she moved about the rooms that were to be her own had enthralled him they had roamed over the house hand in hand exploring rooms and corridors looking at family portraits from lawrence to buckner the first harling of any importance having been painted by the former master ours isn't a long pedigree conrad said laughing we only date from sir thomas lawrence ah but on your mother's side oh the duke's family tree begins with king stephen's armour-bearer and the family is as rusty as the armour that hangs in the castle wall irene was enthusiastic about the billiard-room and library with the door of communication 
i shall sit here and read after dinner while you and your friends play she said looking at the shelves where every book she had ever heard of or desired seemed to be waiting for her books having been one of mr harling's vanities exquisite books and exquisite bindings the trousseau was a business that occupied many mornings sir michael being too much a man of the world to hold his hand when his daughter was marrying thirty thousand a year and when her settlement was to be exceptionally generous nothing asked from the bride's people and everything given irene herself showed indifference about her wedding clothes rare in any young woman rarer perhaps in an old woman she allowed her stepmother and the dressmaker to choose and settle everything only stipulating that most of her frocks should be white and that her trousseau should be planned with a view to foreign travel rather than to display at home we shall be wandering about the world till next season she told madame hermini and i shall go to any queer wild places my husband wants to see so you must give me no useless finery but when the suave and expensive ermini heard of winter in egypt she protested that madame would want more evening frocks and smarter evening coats than if she were staying in london irene shrugged her shoulders disdainfully i am not going to parties at huge hotels she said i am going to live in a felucca or under canvas with my husband my husband the word charmed her she had never dreamed of this joyous love never hoped to be so honoured and so cherished she who had suffered the dull despair of a young life that has no fair outlook fate had been good to her after all only one thing troubled conrad in this joyous time and that was a certain want of cordiality between his mother and the girl of his heart in vulgar parlance these two whom he loved best in the world did not take to each other lady mary was courteous and irene was unfailing in all proper marks of respect for the lady's age and position but there were no signs of growing intimacy still less of affection i thought you would be so fond of my mother he said one day with almost a note of reproach i shall be fond of her when she is fond of me irene answered but that has to come perhaps when we have been married a year or two and i have made you happy the ice will melt women are inscrutable i made sure that you would love each other she never had a daughter and you who loved your mother so dearly 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 don't speak of her don't make me think of her and her last days upon this earth when i counted every breath she drew hung upon every word faint words at long intervals and when i knew that each word might be the last he caught her to his heart he kissed away her tears never never would he again invoke a memory that grieved her my mother will adore you by and by he said and then in a lower voice he asked can you guess when she will love you best he whispered the answer to his own question when our first-born child is laid in her arms irene's head drooped lower on his breast and the lips that were hidden from him were mute she clung to him in silence and he felt the hurried beating of her heart and knew he had distressed her but could not understand why conrad never spoke to her again about her relations with his mother comforting himself with the assurance that intimacy and affection would come in good time irene had spoken words of wisdom his mother would love the woman who gave happiness to her son perhaps such close relations must always begin with a little aversion or at least with some distrust after her terrible interview with lady mary irene had resolved never to bend her neck before a woman who had so outraged her pride of womanhood whatever love or kindness was to come in the future should come unsought 
she would never plead in forma pauperis, never take the lower ground of acknowledged guilt. Strong in Conrad's love, she would defy the world. She had brought her father to her feet, after years of unkindness. He fawned upon her, he praised and admired her, and made believe that no cloud had ever crossed her sky. He even talked freely before Conrad of her life in Ireland, hidden in a rustic village with an aunt who worshipped her. Nobody had ever told him of any such worship. The idea was spontaneous. Lady Mary wondered at the girl's calm front, and perhaps, in her heart of hearts, admired her for being so quietly defiant, so self-assured and resolute. The calmness under deeply agitating conditions indicated good blood, was indeed as much a sign and token of race as her small feet and delicate hands, and all those other marks of refinement in her beautiful person. A girl of mean birth would have trembled and cringed. And so the summer days went by, fleet and sweet as summer days can be when people are ineffably happy. The lovers were rarely parted between early morning in the row and the small hours after a ball, except in the inevitable time which the least vain of young women must sacrifice to the exigencies of London clothes. First came the morning ride, and after breakfast a walk or shopping, and then luncheon in Chapel Street, or perhaps one of Lady Mary's luncheon parties, which she could not desist from giving all at once. She had indeed to do more entertaining now that her son was engaged to be married. In the afternoons there were long jaunts in one of the motors, and on opera nights there was an early dinner in Hertford Street, and an evening in Lady Mary's capacious box and there were occasional dinner-parties and dances almost every night dances to which the pretty miss thelliston was always bidden dances with chaperones and friendly little dances without chaperones so that scarcely a night passed in that enchanting july when conrad's arms were not encircling his betrothed in the waltz they both loved and in which they both excelled then there were the suburban races sandown and kempton to which conrad carried irene and his cousin with some agreeable youth or middle-aged swain to make a fourth and amuse Daisy. Captain Mansfeld was the favourite, as he was keen on racing and knew the lineage and previous performances of every horse, and the merits and peculiarities of every jockey. It was one Saturday afternoon at Sandown under tropical sunshine in the mob of overpowering frocks and hats, and more or less attractive faces, that they met a man who had achieved a momentary distinction by the purchase of a famous derby winner, and by the success of one of his own horses at the newmarket first spring meeting he had a horse running at sandown this afternoon and had that peculiar air of suppressed agitation common to owners when their luck trembles in the balance and in this condition with eyes brightened as with fever and a certain over alertness of movement and manner he ran against captain mansfeld who was walking with daisy meredith while conrad and irene sauntered after them it was still early in the afternoon and the most important race was yet to come the man had a loud voice resonant and not unmelodious and they could hear every word as they approached it was all about his horse and the chances for and against he was a large man tall and broad-shouldered handsome commanding of aspect a man who looked as if he had once been a soldier well set up still but a little out of training idleness and high living had set their mark upon the magnificent figure and the face was one upon which high thinking had never been expressed it was perfect from the sculptor's point of view but the beauty was purely physical the type suggestive of the arena and not of the forum come round and look at horoscope before they saddle him if miss meredith is fond of horses she'll appreciate his good looks he was saying 
having in a manner forced mansfeld to introduce him to the young lady and then as conrad and his sweetheart approached he turned and met them face to face he looked at irene with a surprise that was instantaneous and then with an expectant look that obliged her to recognize him she bowed ever so slightly and walked on quickening her pace with her large white sunshade lowered a little so that her face was hidden do you know that man asked conrad with a lover's jealous distrust of any stranger who presumes to claim acquaintance with the beloved i met him years ago in india is he a friend of sir michael's no i don't think my father knows him but you met him it was in cashmere he was a friend of my cousin's was he in the army yes he was in the grenadiers but he had left the army and was travelling for his amusement wouldn't have him in the guards perhaps he doesn't look their sort what is the matter with him something indefinite something i don't want to put into plain words some men are born so men whose blood is of the deepest blue and whose ancestors were fine gentlemen in the first crusade you condemn him on rather slight evidence never having even talked to him i heard him talk just now bragging about his horse wanting my cousin to go and look at the brute out of his own mouth he has condemned himself i'm sorry your cousin had to suffer the burden of his acquaintance there had been no change in irene's voice or manner as she talked of the man not the faintest sign of fear or distress yet this chance meeting was one of the dark moments of life she felt the hand of fate upon her she had hugged herself with the assurance that she would never see that face again never hear again the voice that had once charmed her to-day she saw him as conrad saw him with a deep disgust handsome yes splendid as common clay unillumined by soul can be an earth-man in whom there was no sign of the immortal mind she wondered if he had changed utterly from the man she had once loved the man to whom she gave her childish admiration her childish trust the man who had pursued her with a passionate insistence from the hour when her eyes first looked up at him with a schoolgirl's innocent admiration of a magnificent being the typical guardsman of the romantic novel she had been able to control voice and manner but she could not command her colour and presently when they were sitting at tea and she could no longer shelter herself under her parasol conrad exclaimed at her pallor she had been walking in the sun it was his fault he was as much distressed as if he had taken her unawares through a plague-stricken city he was sure that her head ached that she was almost fainting all her protestations to the contrary were useless he looked appealingly at daisy what had better to be done should they go home directly after tea perhaps he could find a doctor who would prescribe something he could run to a chemist at escher to get a prescription made up he looked as troubled as if death were in the air irene protested that she had no headache please let us sit quietly somewhere out of the sun that is all i want perhaps daisy will sit with me in some shady corner while you and captain mansfeld look at the race as if i should leave you cried conrad reproachfully i give you my word i am not going to die said irene with a silvery laugh that was reassuring he told mansfeld and daisy to go and amuse themselves and to be at the gate ready for the drive home at a quarter to seven and then he went off with irene away from the race-course and the crowd to stroll on escher common it was irene who suggested the common it will be a relief to be away from all those frocks and hats she said if you don't mind not seeing the race as if i should mind as if i wanted to see anything in the world except your face 
when that looks pale and wan my world collapses you gave me a scare just now irene but a little pick of pink has come back just the ghost of your morning colour when we meet in the park and i say to myself here comes my rose of june End of chapter 8 part 1